by the dread or the fear of the wrath of God. You know, I did kind of a quick survey last week that what comes to mind when you hear the fear of the Lord? And most people acknowledge that what comes to mind is the dread, the fear of judgment, the fear of what God is going to do if I don't do this. But we, got, we went through the scripture and we saw that the fear of the Lord, actually, it's a mannerism. In fact, I wrote something which I, I don't normally post on, uh, on social media, in, um, but I just, I just felt, you know, um, I felt this is which, and I wrote, the fear of God is not what is practiced in church, although it's part of it, it's not what is practiced in church, but the lifestyle that ought to be adopted by every Christian. Not because we are afraid of his wrath, but because we are driven by his love. It's a lifestyle that we ought to adopt. Not because we fear his wrath, but because we are driven by his love. And I did give a, a few examples last week. That if you're in love, if you're in relationship with someone... You don't act because you are in fear that that relationship will break down if you don't do A, B, C, and D. And if you are driven by fear in that relationship rather than love or affection for that person, it means that there's something wrong with that relationship. And the same thing with us. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is not something that we need to be afraid of is something that we need to leave out. And what I'm saying to us this morning is that just like any civil society, you know, the word etiquette, in fact, by the way, um, someone sent me um, something over the week. Um, on Facebook, that the French want, that since we are living in Europe, the French want their words back. You know, you know, we use a lot of uh, French words, etiquette, fiancé. Say, you know, you can't get married without fiancé. So, um, since we are living in Europe now, we need to give them back all the words that, all the French words that we've borrowed. And um, etiquette is actually a French word. I don't know if it's pronounced rightly, but well, you know. Um, is a French word which is um, which is actually um, the the is it means the former behavior that governs a civil society the former behavior set of behavior that governs a civil society. For example, if any of us were into, were to be invited to Buckingham Palace for a dinner and. You're one of those people who love to eat with your hands, you know, to enjoy your food. I, that's something I still don't get, but where people tell me that, you know, how can you eat certain food without using your hands? You don't enjoy it. For me, it's the opposite. How can you enjoy with using your hands, you know? But anyway, but if you go to Buckingham Palace, you won't say, this food looks so nice. Let me use my hands. Even the bones, the chicken bones that you really want to eat, by the time you use the, you'll be looking at the chicken and you say, oh my God, well, you're lucky you're in the palace. <laughs> because if you're at home, you know, <laughs> everything would have gone. Why? 
there's a mannerism. There's a way that you look at there's you look at everybody around you. You look even if you don't know, you look at how they're eating, what are they eating, how you know it's what's you're looking at where the position of cutlery. Have you been to a dinner and they put all sorts of cutlery around you and you're looking, which one should I use? You're looking your left and right to just make sure you pick up the right one. Isn't it? So the you know that you're in a different environment and there's certain standard and behavior that is required in that environment. And you want to live up to it, isn't it? The same thing in the kingdom. There is a mannerism. There's an etiquette that we need to abide with so that we can get the attention of our father. You know, sometimes it's not so much... I mean, if you choose to eat with your hands and your fingers in Buckingham Palace, I don't think the queen will send you packing, but you probably look foolish. Isn't it? And people probably be looking at you, and if they realize that you're a black man, they probably say, mm, well, maybe that's the reason. You know, they'll probably be more forgiving. You know, because they think that, well, you don't know what to do with the cutlery. And true, it could be frustrating if you never used it before, you know. Uh, but... So the same thing in the kingdom, there are etiquettes, there are mannerism. Now, I want us to look at, I want us to look at the scripture we looked at last week, and we look at Psalm 89, verse 6 and 7 as well. So you turn to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3, and you put your finger there, and you turn to Psalm 89, verse 6 and to 7. So if you please bring up for me Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3. Sorry? Verse 6. 89 verse 6. Leviticus chapter 10. Yes, thank you very much. Now, I did say to you last week that this happened. I mean, this happened to the son of Aaron. To, um, to the son of the, of the chief priest then. Uh, Abihu and uh, Nadab. Who were killed because they offered strange fire. They offer the sacrifice that they ought not to offer. Now, the problem is not the sacrifice. The problem was the mannerism in which they offer the sacrifice. Now, when you look at effective or true worship, there are two aspects to it. There's the object and the place to worship. And I want you to put that in mind because I'm going to, I'm going to come to it. There's the what? There's the object and there's the place of worship. Now, and we'll look at it from the New Testament perspective. Now, look at the second, uh, he said, and Moses, after they were struck dead, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Those who come near me, that's one etiquette. I must, if you come near God, you must, some translation have it as, as be sanctified. The word sanctified means set apart as holy. Some translations also have it as consecrated. Consecrated means that you dedicate it as an object of worship. Now, so basically, so what possibly happened in this situation is that the object of worship that these guys use 
or whenever, they, because in those days, you have objects of worship, the vessels and everything. Before you use those vessels, you consecrate it before God. And you cannot, any vessel that you consecrate before God, you cannot use it for any other thing other than as an object of worship. Now, the question is, and I did show us from the scripture in um, Romans chapter 8, verse 2 last week, that the righteous requirement of God is still required. God has not changed any of his standards. The only difference that we have in the New Testament is that now we have the capacity to actually fulfill God's standard. As against in the Old Testament, that they knew what to do, but they didn't have the capacity to fulfill that standard. Amen. So, what I'm saying is that in the New Testament, God is not setting you up for failure. God is setting you up for success. Hallelujah. Tell somebody that I can make it. Hallelujah. Amen. So, you are designated for success. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's what the Bible says, by his grace we are saved. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to dwell into that, but I will. So, think about the objects. And the place of worship. In this case, the place of worship was right, but the object was wrong. So we look in a moment, what is the object, what is the place of worship in the New Testament perspective? He said, first of all, anybody that comes near me, I must be sanctified, I must be holy, and I must be glorified. The word glorified, like I said last week, it means to lift, be lifted up, be weightier. In other words, God must be first. There's no competition with God. Nothing in our life supposed or ought to compete with God's attention. Amen, somebody. Nothing. Nothing. He said, anyone that will come near me, hallelujah, must, I must be glorified. In other words, I must not compete with anything. Nothing in our life must compete with God. Nothing. Not our children, not our spouse, not our job, not our vocation, nothing. Nothing. He must be lifted up. He must be glorified. Psalm 89 verse 6. Let's look at verse 99. 89 verse 6. Verse 89 verse 6. So the first etiquette we looked at there is that Anything that comes before God must be clean, sanctified, set apart, or consecrated. And number two, it must be glorified. It must be lifted up. That's what we saw in Leviticus um, 10 and 3. Verse 89, verse 6. Let's read that verse 6. It says, For who in heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who in heaven can be compared with him? Who? What can compare with him? Nothing. Do you agree with me that nothing can be compared with him? Nothing should be allowed to compete with him. Nothing. And one of the things that I love about that testimony that we had, you realize that even though she was distressed at the prospect of not traveling, at the prospect of not finding that, script, um, that passport, do you realize she kept on saying one thing? She said, I kept on speaking to the Lord. What are you saying? That is a worshiper. She didn't allow, although she was, I mean, obviously she was distressed because of the prospect of not 
traveling, you know, and being able to do what she's hope or see, want to do. She was distressed about that, but she did not allow that to define her. She kept on speaking to the Lord. God, what are you saying here? And guess what? As simple as the story finished, as simple as it sounds, the only reason why she heard the Lord say, check that bag, is because she was not distressed. That's the only reason. She could hear the Lord. When the Lord was pointing her, check that place. You can imagine she has been frosted and everything. Well, we've checked that yesterday. We've checked that. In fact, we, I'm sure they took the bag upside down. And logically, it would not make sense that that pastor can still be in that bag. And God said, check it. And you know, she could still be in church and still cry and say, well, we couldn't find that pastor. I don't know what the Lord is saying, but well, I think the Lord is saying that don't go. You know, because she can't find it. Then as she realizes that the, she missed the plane, she picks that bag to go and do shopping, and the first thing she looks at is the passport. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. He said, so Psalm 89, he said, nothing should, nothing compare, nothing in the heavens compares to the Lord. Then he said, who among the sons of the mighty can be lacking to the Lord? I love verse 7. Look at verse 7. Say, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. The object of worship, the place of worship. In other words, there is a decorum in which you handle the object of worship. There's a decorum in which you behave yourself in the place of worship. Now, where's the place of worship? Where's the assembly of the saints? It's the gathering of the saints, Mount Zion. And when people, when children of God are gathered together, that is the assembly of the saints. And God says what? What did he say here? He said, he has to be greatly feared in the assembly of the saints. Then he said, and to be held in reverence by all those around him. Be held in reverence. Be held in respect. Honor him. In other words, glorify him. Let nothing compete with that. Now, what, what am I saying here? What I'm saying is that we, in the New Testament now, we are the objects of worship. In John chapter 4, Jesus was telling the Samaritan woman, he said that, when he was telling them about worship, he said, now is the time that true worshiper will worship him in truth and in spirit. The place of worship is not a designated place, but anywhere the children of God are. Why, why did I say that? Because in Luke chapter 17, Verse 21, Jesus was saying that when the disciples were saying that, when are we going to see, you've been talking about this kingdom since you've been preaching. When are we going to see the manifestation of this kingdom? He said, no, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. Hallelujah. So we carry, we are the vessel. We are the ones that carry, you know. Paul put it uh, a little bit clearer in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, from verse 16 to 18, that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the temple of the Most High. So, next we are going to be looking at the change glory. 
and the significance of us being the object and the place of worship of God. Being the object and the place of worship of God, you cannot afford to desecrate the temple of God. What you do to your body is important. Amen? And what you do in his assembly, in his gathering, is important. And I think that many of us, you see, freedom is not a license to sin. And I was thinking about this, and I said, one of the freest nation, one of the freest nation in the world is certainly the United Kingdom. But one of the countries that you can imply that is lawless in any form or shape is also the United Kingdom. In other words, there's certain things that you do that you see you experience the wrath of the law, isn't it? Otherwise, if there's no law, there will be no prison. If you think about that. If there's no law, there will be no fine. If there's no law, there will be no law courts. If there's no law, there will definitely be no lawyers. Amen? But you don't, you don't pay the fine. You don't pay because you're a good citizen. You do that when you infringe the law. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever, ever had this statement, there's no excuse in law, or there's no ignorance in law. Oh, I didn't know. You know, one of the first things I learned very quickly when I, when I came back to this country and lived permanently is that you don't apologize to the police officer and say, uh, I'm sorry. Because when you apologize and say, I'm yeah, sorry, you are indirectly acknowledging that, yes, indeed, I'm guilty. You know, and of course, once you say that, that's what you just made the life of that officer easy that night. You know, that yes, I'm, I'm right to have arrested you. Praise God. So, what I'm saying is that the fact that it's a free country does not mean that it's lawless. The fact that we have freedom in Christ, the fact that we are saved by grace, does not mean that we live a lawless life spiritually. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is that there are etiquettes, there are standards that God expects of us. Now, like I said, made it clear last week, I mean, these standards are not what defines that we are saved or not. You know, the fact that you eat your, with your finger or you don't follow the right etiquette in, in the palace does not mean you are not a citizen. It does not ignite who you are, but you might lose out in certain things. Amen. So, the same thing, like we saw last week, that, you know, our works will be tested. Our works is different from our status as, 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 as um, saved. Our works will be tested. The ones that are pure, we pass the test. The ones that are fake, we fail, you know. What are you building on? Gold or wood or hay? So everything will be tested with fire. So, the etiquette, uh, let me just run through it. Number one is to dedicate ourselves, be set apart and consecrated to God. Number two, glorify him. Let nothing compete with him. Number three, he must be greatly feared within the assembly of the saints. You know, the church must be held in 
in, in respect, in reverence. You know, sometimes the, the, the mannerism of, 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 of how casual we are in church sometimes, sometimes scares me. Look, I bet it if the queen walks in, not even let, I'm even talking of the queen, if uh, Prince Archie, the youngest member of the senior royal, because he's, uh, he's the youngest, isn't he? Prince Archie. Yeah. If he walks in here, everybody will sit up. You see that you adjust yourself. Why? Because an important dignitary has walked in. But what we forget, what we forget that we are not walking into church, we are church. Because we carry, we're going to see this deeper next week, we carry his presence. So the way you comport yourself, either in church or outside, matters. Because you carry God. If I can put it any, um, any serious than that. We carry the most important and precious I don't want to say theme, but personality. There's so much that we, we have inside of us. But sometimes we are so casual. And one of the reasons why we are casual, you see, I, I tell you, because, um, look at this one, when it says that in the assembly, when you come to an assembly of God, individually we carry the presence of God, but when we come collectively, it's like more or less we're, we're, we're bomb, you know, because, because you can imagine a collective form of great power together. But what is significant, what is significant here is that that's why the Bible says that where two or three are gathered together, not just gathered, gathered together in my name, there I am in their presence. And for a very long time, I've always wondered, I said, why is it that you find out that when miracles happen, if you go to any crusade or any whatever, when miracles happen, it happens mainly to unbelievers, not to believers. And some of the believers are like, but God, I've been praying for this healing, and I'm being in church all these days. And someone who does not even believe, that person is just literally dragged into that program and doesn't want to come. And even look all the time that the word is being preached, the person is on his Snapchat. And when God hit the place, bang, God hit that person. What do you think God is doing? For the believer, he's already inside of you. All you need to do is believe. For the unbeliever, he has nothing. God has to come upon him, come into his life, and bring about the transformation. And that's why sometimes it seems like, oh, but God, I've been in church all this time. Already you carry me. You carry me. You've got me. You've got everything. And we'll see that in a moment. You got me, you got everything. The fifth thing, etiquette I want to draw upon is, no, fourth is to 
hold him in reverence. Number three is our disposition in the assembly of God, in church, you know, how we, how we behave, you know. You know, something I tell my wife, I said, you know, because I have um, an uh, Anglican background, I said, um, sometimes one, some of the decorums and the practices and the etiquettes that you have the Anglican church, I sometimes feel that we lose that in the Pentecostal because we just feel that we're free, I can just do anything, I can walk in anytime and everything, you know. I mean, even prayer time, even worship time, even when you're at home, when you're reading your scriptures, when you're worshiping, when you're praying, the way you behave yourself, you need to begin to understand that, look, I am meeting with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The most important personality. When you pick up your Bible and you want to read, you know, take it as a time that I'm meeting with the King. I'm having dinner. Look, if you are asked to come and receive an MBA, OBE, or whatever, an award in, um, in Buckingham Palace, I bet any one of us here will go shopping. Every one of us here will go shopping. Because you feel that what you have is not good enough to be presented before the royalty. And what I'm saying to you is that Every time you engage in worship, the world, or whatever, either privately or corporately, you should take it and understand that you are meeting with the king of kings. Don't stop being casual with God. Amen? And of course, when you, when you come, you know, if you are not casual with him privately, when you now come into the assembly of the saints, guess what? That should be taken to a different level because now a greater dimension of God's presence and power is available there. Amen. So the fourth one is to Proverbs chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 13. So the, 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 the fifth one, hate evil. Hate evil, evil is not just the pedophile, it's not the murderer, it's not the thief, you see. Anything, anything morally wrong or natural advice or causing trouble, anything, you know, everything that distresses your brother, your sister, God causes the evil. You know, I, I remember seeing, um, was it a video clip or some? I, I think it was a video clip, um, something like that. And this, this, this woman, um, she was, um, yeah, it was a video clip. Well, she was actually in Nigeria, um, one of these um, um, shows that they do. What, what do they call them now? One of, well, I can't remember now. One of these shows that they come in, uh, ah, Nigerian, they do the version here as well. They go into a house, Big Brother, yeah, Nigerian Big Brother. And, and this, this guy was interviewing the lady, said that, I hear that if you want to win that Big Brother, you have to do anything, you know, including having sexual relationship and all this stuff like that. You do, do something outrageous, you know, that people will, that's what will make you win and everything. And this lady, who is a Christian, she says she's a Christian, I said, yeah, she's ready to do anything. They say, even sleeping with somebody, they say, ah, no big deal, as long as I win. I said, God understands. I said, really? Now, 
I, I'm sure that sounds ridiculous to us, but you see, in different forms and shape and form, we do that as well. There's some things you know, we compromise on and say, God understands. God knows that I really need this. It doesn't matter. And it's because we, we are not mindful of what we carry, who we are. So, living in more adversity, or someone say, well, God says that whatever you do, do it well. I found myself in prostitution. That's what God has called me to. I'm doing it well unto his glory. People have said that. People have, I mean, you'd be shocked what people come up with, you know. And they give, so, hating evil, you can't, you can't love evil and practice evil and say, oh, God loves me anyway. It's his grace. His grace delivers us from that, from that entrapment of evil. And of course, the last one is to hate pride and arrogance. To hate pride and arrogance. And that is the bit that we all struggle with. You know, one of the, one of the things that one of the things that limits, that makes people walk in pride or arrogance, really, is, is ignorance. You know, have you ever met, have you ever tried to teach someone who's ignorant before? Someone who's ignorant is not someone who doesn't know, it's someone who doesn't want to know. You know, you, you don't, we don't know everything. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with not knowing some certain things. It's okay not to know. But it's not okay not wanting to learn. Amen? You can't know everything, but it is not okay not wanting to learn. You know, I was there, uh, someone, uh, I heard someone who said something. said, when you meet with someone, or when you, when, you are, when you are being taught something, he said, talk less, listen more. He said, because when you keep on talking, you deny yourself the opportunity of learning. Because guess what? All you'll be hearing is what you know already. And because you've so much choked the time, and the person that wants to teach you doesn't have the opportunity to teach you, you've denied yourself of what you could have learned from that thing. So the biggest hindrance that we have is ignorance. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people are destroyed, not for the lack of anointing, not for the lack of, he said, for the, for the lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. And like I said, it's not because they don't know, it's because they don't want to learn. And Proverbs chapter 7, chapter 1 verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So when you come to that place that you start learning, you begin, you begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's when you know that, yes, the fear of the Lord makes sense to you. You know, I, I really want, you know, we announce every time, on Wednesday, the reason why we have the Bible study on Wednesday is to give us the opportunity to learn together. 
Someone once said, he said, there's no problem that is not solvable. The only problem why you still have the problem is because you, you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the information to resolve that situation. Every problem is solvable because everything has an answer. You know, what you don't know seems like a mirage. But what you know looks like everyday knowledge. And I want to finish with this. When you look at Paul, when he was praying for the church in um, Ephesians chapter 1, he was so concerned. He was, he, he was delighted that they are saved. He was delighted that they had a passion for God. But let's check his prayer, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's see what he prayed for. He didn't pray that they would have more anointing. He didn't pray that they would love God more than they love him. Because already they love him. From verse 16. He said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? In the knowledge of him. Because he said to them that, look, everything that you require in God, everything that, in fact, in first, um, Second Peter chapter 1, uh, in fact, let's, let's go there. Let's, let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Paul was praying, Paul was praying, um, uh, was praying for the disciples in Ephesians. He said, look, I'm delighted that you're saved. And many of us just stay in that place. I'm saved. I can't, you know, whatever happened to me, you know, I've heard someone say before that I, I don't need any crown in heaven. As long as I get to heaven, I don't mind sitting now as a potter. But you know God is not going to accelerate you to heaven the second day you give your life to Christ or the moment you give your life to Christ. You may spend so many years on earth there. So don't leave it miserable. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you. In what? Grace and peace. In other words, grace and peace, we have it in measure. Amen. You see why many people are so distressed and stressed today? Why many people are, um, what's that word now? Um, the common word, the common, huh? depression. Do you think someone that has experienced multiplication of grace and peace, do you think they can be depressed? Hello? Do you think they can? He said, but grace and peace be multiply to you where how in the knowledge so in other words if you want to be increased if you want the measure of grace and peace if you want to experience a greater dimension of grace and peace you need the knowledge of the word of god amen that's where you get it and why is that significant because the more of the knowledge of the word of god that you know 
the more you know how to behave yourself wisely. Hallelujah. And be, as you behave yourself wisely, you'll be able to get attention of the king. In fact, let's look at, because um, Peter said that, look, everything that pertains to life and to godliness, everything, God has made them already available. But the only reason why we're not experiencing it is because we lack the information. We lack the knowledge, which you don't get in school. You don't get it off the street. You don't get it at work. Your MBA will not give it to you. Your PhD will not give it to you. But it's in the knowledge of the word of God. Look at this. He said, verse 3, he said, As his divine power has given to us all things, his divine power has given to us what? All things. His divine power has given to us all things that pertains to what? Life and godliness. Now, when you hear that his divine power, now, just, I just want you to imagine that. His divine power, the force that is beyond every force, is made available to us everything that pertains to this life and to godliness. He said, but the only access, the key to that, you know, no matter if you buy a house now and you're not giving the key to the house, you know, you can't get, you can't get into the house. That's why when you are signing your house or buying a house, you are purchasing the house, until you get the key, you don't really celebrate. Because now you know you have access to it. Amen? That's the symbol that, yes, is mine. Praise the Lord. And the key to this vast resources that God has made available in heaven is, is knowledge. It's in the word of God. But guess what? Satan will make sure that he busy us so much that we have no time to search the word. We complain that we don't have, we complain that we can't do, we complain that we, we, you know, and we complain about everything and everybody. You complain about the church, you complain about the government, you complain about everything because you lack the knowledge of the word of God. And instead of us searching for it, guess what? See that make sure that we're distracted from it. Everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by what? Glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly. Look at verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through this you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Amen. God wants you to be a partaker, not a spectator. Let me tell your neighbor, say, God wants you to be a partaker, not a spectator. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He wants you to be a partaker. So we can't just come before God casually and just expect that, you know, I can just do what I want to do. I can, you know, you know we just take God as if, God is, uh, is uh, 
we actually treat God as if we're in control of him. Again, I refer you to that testimony. You know, it's so loaded. I'm sure she was kind of a casual experience, but she kept on asking God, God, what are you saying here? I don't know if you heard that, but I just want to emphasize that. God, what are you saying here? What are you doing? You may say that, but God didn't hide it. But, but it, it tells you the type of fellowship, relationship she has with God. It sounds mundane. It sounds ordinary. But she conversed with God. And that's what I want to challenge us this morning. That the fear of God is not something that we just limit to what we do in church. But the lifestyle that is driven not by his wrath, but by his love. In other words, because I love this God so much, I'm eager to serve. Because I love him so much, I want to worship. Because I love him so much, I want to gather together with the saints. I'm not coming to church because I don't want to get phone call Monday morning from pastor. I'm coming to church because I just love to be with the brethren. Because my love for God drives me to love my brethren. Amen? Does it make sense? That is what the fear of the Lord is. It's not because I'm afraid that the judgment of God will come upon me. You don't bring your thighs before God because you're afraid that the judgment of God will come before me. My business will collapse. I'll be made retrenched from work. But because I love God, because I reference him, because I regard him as my Lord and my personal Savior, I honor him with 10% of my income. Amen? So basically what I'm saying is that let his love, because he loved us first before we loved him. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. I said, if he gave his son to us, what is it that he can't give unto us? Amen. Let us rise up to our feet. Hallelujah. Amen. Please remind somebody for me again. Say you are a partaker, not a spectator. Say with a bit of conviction for me, please. You are a partaker, not a spectator. Hallelujah. Say God has great expectation of you. He knows you can make it. Hallelujah. You are making it. Hallelujah. Everything that pertains to life and to godliness, he has made them available unto us through the knowledge of his word. May your heart and your spirit be open to everything that God has available for you in the name of Jesus. Let's just begin to thank God for the word that has come forth. That in every way that the word has spoken to you this morning, receive courage. To be doers of it. Receive courage to stand out from your comfort zone. And leave out the etiquettes of God. 
knowing that he has saved you, he has set you free and given you the freedom to live right before him. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. One advantage that we have as believers, which a lot of people don't know, and the significance of freedom is that it gives you the capacity to make choice. Christians are not better than any other person, but we're just privileged and positioned in a great place in the sense that we have the capacity to make a choice to live for God. When we make the confession that Jesus is our Lord and our personal Savior, we're saying that we have the chain and the bondage of sin is broken over our lives, and we accept the testimony of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again. The Bible says that the reason why he rose again was the, the pang of death could not hold him. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you are here that you've never made that decision in your life, and you've asked Jesus to become your Lord and your personal Savior, it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how long you've been religious. It doesn't matter how long you follow Christ. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of God's glory and standard. All, everyone. And it says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of life, the gift of God is life and eternal life in him. Through Christ Jesus. If you at this point, you've never given your life to, you've never made that decision that Jesus come into my heart. I accept your testimony that you died on the cross for me and on the third day you rose again. I want you to signify by raising up your hands and I want to pray with you. You want to give God the permission to reign and rule over your life. That's a choice. That's a decision you can make today. I've often said it, once one is passed, you know, when someone dies and says, you rest in peace. I really hope that we're making the right decision that we can really rest in peace when our time comes. Because all makes that difference is the decision you've made when you're alive. God is a God of the living, not of the dead. You can't pray for the dead again. They've gone to the other side of eternity. And the decision where they will end up will be based on the decision they made on this side of eternity. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your word that has been spoken this morning. 
I pray that this world will not return to you empty-handed, but they will accomplish the purpose to which you send them forth. I pray that in the name of Jesus that we receive the grace and the unction to be doers of this word in the name of Jesus. That we will receive the courage, O God, to make your etiquette complete reference of you, even in our private and in the public, a priority in our life. That nothing will not allow anything to compete with your glory and your power. We receive this grace this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.